This edition of the Northern Miner Podcast is sponsored by Mine Expo International, the world's largest mining trade show. See thousands of new products and services at the Las Vegas Convention Center from September 28th to 30th. Registration is now open, so visit MineExpo.com to register. You don't want to miss this opportunity. This is Global Mining News, available worldwide on the internet. Welcome to the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli, and I welcome you from wherever you are on this blue dot, as they call it. And speaking of space, we have a very exciting space mining story on this week's cover. Go to our Instagram, you'll see it there. And uh, yeah, I guess the Russians aren't too happy with the space mining plan of the U.S. president, where he's saying people can go and mine the moon for commercial purposes and mine celestial bodies like asteroids. And Russia is comparing that to colonialism. Check out the Northern Miner newspaper for that story. And I believe we featured that last episode, so we're not going to go into that today. But we do have a very exciting episode lined up for you. We have Alicia Hyatt, who is from the Canadian Mining Journal. She is the editor-in-chief, and she also runs Diamonds in Canada, which is a magazine that the Northern Miner releases twice a year. It's an insert in the newspaper. And so she is going to join us today. And there's all sorts of interesting things going on in the diamond industry. And she also talks about the coronavirus and PDAC and uh, the Canadian Mining Journal, which is a sister publication of the Northern Miner, has been following the coronavirus story quite closely. So you're going to want to listen to this. It's again, it's just sort of the kind of thing we just have this little niche that the Northern Miner has of these juniors, but it's, you know, mining and resources. It's an ancient and massive issue. So it's a really fun corner of the universe for us to cover. And in some respects, not entirely, there are a lot of newsletter writers out there and the odd junior breaks into the main newspapers. But in some respects, we have this all to ourselves. So welcome aboard. We have a great show lined up for you. And finally, I, I did want to mention about the paper. Again, that's going to be on our Instagram. You can see it now. I'm also going to post it on Twitter and Facebook. But if you want to advertise there, just simply go to our contact page on our website and look for Michael or Joe and email one of those guys and they'll be happy to help you out. They have all sorts of different plans and some of them even include advertising on the podcast and we have new advertisers coming on. So we're very excited about that. Let's also take a look at the Canadian Mining Symposium. We have new speakers there to our already fabulous list. Let's just take a look here. And if you want to see this page, simply go to northernminer.com website and click on events. Actually, hover over events and then you'll see 2020 Canadian Mining Symposium with my favorite title of the last in any genre, Mining Days in Canada. And... Uh, yeah, you'll see all the information, and we have a couple of new additions here, at least new for me. First, we had Sean Boyd, who's uh, CEO of Agnico Eagle, and Don Lindsay, Tech Resources, President and CEO. So we heard about them last episode. 
I do not recall Randy Smallwood, president and CEO of Wheaton Precious Metals, major streamer, and Gord Stothard, who is president and CEO of I Am Gold. So a real heavy hitter lineup here, a mining must-see conference, and also Joe Foster and Jeffrey Christian are going to be presenting. So this is taking place from June 16th to June 18th. So if you'd like to register, just go to northernminer.com and then go to events and then click on 2020 Canadian Mining Symposium and click on register for free. So that is only a month and three weeks away. We have the countdown clock and you can even see a video there. This is, you know, again, this, this year it's digital. We're doing the 2020 COVID-19 version, which is digital. But if you go to the page, you'll see a video of just, this is a she-she event. So check out the video and that hopefully will get you excited about this. So that is coming up. And also don't forget about TNM Leaders. Just go to northernminer.com slash TNM Leaders. Well, we're all sheltering at home, even though things are starting to open up. But uh, if you're still at home and looking for something to do, check out our TNM Leaders and that will give you a head start if you have any executive ambitions in the mining sector. So just go to northernminer.com slash TNM leaders and you will find more heavy hitters giving the inside track on what has helped them become winners in a pretty competitive world out there. So do check that out. You can find us online at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. Find us on Instagram at The Northern Miner. Find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we host these podcasts, and wherever podcasts are available. So off we go. And turning to the website, we have a story from Cecilia Jamasmi from Mining.com, and Papua New Guinea has seized Barrick's Porgera Mine. It looks like they are not happy with the environmental and social uh moves made by barracks so let's take a closer look png is set to take control of barrack gold's porgera mine after refusing to extend the company's lease on environmental and social grounds prime minister james marape said today quote in the best interests of the state especially in lieu of the environmental damages claims and resettlement issues the special mining lease will not be renewed, Marape said. The decision, which would have renewed Barrick's rights for 20 years, comes nine months after the mining lease expired. During that time, the world's second largest gold miner behind Newmont has faced backlash from landowners and residents over what they claim are negative social, environmental, and economic impacts from the mine. Now, Barrick, those of you who had listened to our Barrick conference call from two or three months ago, they must be ready for another conference call any day now, will remember that Mark Bristow, the CEO of Barrick, opened with a, a speech on ESG, environmental, social, and governance, and its importance as a core part of the company's values and it moving forward. So here we have a clash now, we don't know what the deal is here, though, of course, and we're going to look here a bit further, but either what the prime minister is saying is true and Barrick is somehow not living up to its part of the agreement on ESG, or 
PNG is seizing a mine uh, in a tough economic time. So let's just take a little bit closer of a look. Negotiations with Porgera's operators were complicated further by a split among the landowners. So the manager of Porgera, Barrick Neogini Limited, applied for permit extension in June 2017 and had been engaging with the government on this matter since then, Barrick said in a statement. So this has been going on since June 2017, almost three years. In response to a request from Marape, the company proposed in 2019 a benefit-sharing arrangement. Remember they did that with, I believe, Tanzania, and uh, Bristow promoted that as a new kind of deal. My impression, at least this is the spin Barrick's putting on it, but it looks looks like Barrick's giving a lot more to these host countries and even just calling it a benefit-sharing arrangement. So it looks like they were trying to do the same thing in PNG. It continues, such a deal would have delivered more than half the economic benefits to PNG stakeholders, including the government, for 20 years, according to Barrick. So you wonder about this. Continuing on, Barrick's president and CEO, Mark Bristow, had said last month that Pergera had, quote, tier one potential, but faced many challenges in the form of legacy issues and an unruly neighborhood, end quote. The gold mine located in PNG's northern highlands region is a joint venture between Barrick and Zijin Mining. Each owns 47.5% of the mine and the remaining 5% held by landowner group Mineral Resources Enga. The government has said it plans to give a portion of Barrick and Zijin's stakes to the national and provincial governments and to landowners. So who knows, maybe the political uh, winds are so strong against the government that they're just saying, you know what, we have to keep our people happy first. Who knows? There's a lot of mysteries surrounding this story. More from Marape, quote, once the transition phase has been completed, then the state will enter into owning and operating the mine after transition arrangements. And he said this in a televised speech from the capital, Port Moresby. And so Pergera contributes about 10% of the nation's exports and employs 3,300 Papua New Guineans. So it looks like the country has other issues with other miners as well, which kind of muddies the waters a little bit for them, I think. I think it, it hurts their, their narrative that they're trying to push, that this is about that this is based on environmental and social grounds. If we look, uh, several other mining companies are waiting on government approval for new projects, including Australia's Newcrest for its Wafi Golpu gold and copper asset. And we have a quote from an analyst, Jackie Prisbelowski of BMO Capital Markets. And she says, quote, we don't have many details on the implications of this decision yet, including the timing of the transition, Barrick has warned that it will pursue all legal avenues to challenge the government's decision and to recover any damages. We expect that discretionary spending, such as development capex, will be minimized throughout the current period of uncertainty. And she continues, while removing Porgera from Barrick's portfolio would have a negative financial impact, it would improve the ESG performance of the company, company's portfolio going forward. Got to wonder, and that ESG performance is worth more and more by the day. I was just on Barrick's uh, sustainability page, and it's pretty impressive. Like, they at least have a great team putting that page together. And so there you have it. Continuing on, we have another Barrick-related story. You might remember Precipitate Gold. They 
received an investment from Barrick a few weeks ago, and and they have a property that surrounds that's on three sides of Barrick's Pueblo Viejo gold silver mine in the Dominican Republic. So Barrick earned a seventy percent stake in Pueblo Grande, which is Precipitate Gold's project that surrounds Pueblo Viejo, and sounds like they have another project that is 20 kilometers away. And so they have turned their attention to that. So we have this story by Trish Saywell. Uh, Precipitate Gold turns to second property near Pueblo Viejo. We have a quote from Michael Moore, Precipitate's vice president of exploration. It's still pretty early days and we're relying on historic work. What's most compelling is that it's a multi-element anomaly and some of the soil samples run pretty high in the range of 0.1 to 0.6 gram gold per ton. And also we have a quote from Jeffrey Wilson, Precipitate's president and CEO. Quote, it's in the same geological terrain as Pueblo Viejo and Pueblo Grande, but because we have focused on Pueblo Grande and the deal with Barrick, we haven't concentrated on it yet. It wasn't until the Barrick deal looked like it was going to consummate that we decided to get our ducks in a row for what we would do next. And this geochemical anomaly began to emerge as a compelling epithermal target and a potential near-term drill target. And we'll just go a little bit more into the previous deal. Under its deal with Barrick announced on April 14th, two weeks ago, the gold major committed to spend $10 million on exploration at the Junior's Pueblo Grande project, including 7,500 meters of drilling, and complete a pre-feasibility study within six years. It also took a 12% stake in the company, for a $1.4 million investment in a private placement of 12 million shares at 11 cents per share. I remember this being called Closology by a newsletter friend of mine way back in the day. Uh, He called it Closology. I'd never heard that term actually before or since. Maybe it's a term that many of you are familiar with, but where you start digging for gold close to places where they found gold, hence Closology. So there's quite a bit more in this article including how Precipitate got that original property, Pueblo Grande, and more, and their plans. So check that out. Nice deep dive by Trish Saywell, our acting editor-in-chief. And continuing on here, somewhat on the ESG front, we have emissions are supposed to drop by 6% this year due to the coronavirus pandemic, according to the World Meteorological Organization. And it says here, this is also by Cecilia Jamasmi from Mining.com, greenhouse emissions are expected to fall by 6% this year due to a global slowdown caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. But that would not be enough to stop climate change, according to the WMO. The forecast drop comes as transportation and industrial energy production has come almost to a halt globally, and it would be the biggest annual decline since World War II. In the past, however, emissions levels have grown to higher levels once the crises have been over. And we have a quote from WMO's General Secretary, Pateri Tallis, and he said in a statement, Extreme weather has increased and it will not go away because of the coronavirus. On the contrary, the pandemic exacerbates the challenge of evacuating people and keeping them safe from tropical cyclones, as we saw with Category 5 Strength Herald in the South Pacific. And he continues, and there is a risk that overstretched health systems may not be able to cope with an additional burden of patients due to, for example, heat waves. Yeah, so it looks like there's going to be a drop in emissions. So just to put the mining context on this, uh, BHP 
says here, recently committed $400 million over five years to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from its operations and mined commodities. It's not an insignificant amount of money, $400 million out of your coffers to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, I think an even-minded person can say there is an effort being made. I think the debate might be, is the effort good enough? But I mean, there's no question, $400 million for a corporation. So it says here, and remember we were talking about scope three emissions maybe two or three months ago, and it says that BHP has promised to reduce its scope three emissions. And those are emissions generated by end users of their products. And so Rio Tinto, on its part, which is the world's second largest mining company, has vowed to spend a billion dollars over the next five years to reduce its carbon footprint and have, quote, net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. So they're spending more than double of BHP in the next five years, a billion dollars to reduce their carbon footprint. The company also said its scope one and scope two emissions, which are indirect emissions from the generation of purchased energy consumed by a company such as electricity, would be 15% lower by 2030 than 2018 levels. We have analyst commentary, but that is basically the long and the short of it is emissions are coming down. Miners are doing something. WMO feels that emissions coming down are not going to make a huge difference. You get the sense that a lot of the people most concerned about greenhouse gas emissions are very concerned that this coronavirus is going to actually take things off course, either through uh, cost cutting and not being able to support these programs. But so far, we haven't heard of any cancellations. So this is good. And finally, we got a flurry of stories on uh, analysts and banks and investment banks reassessing the precious metals. So I thought I'd go through some of the headlines here because all of the stories together are a little much to go through. But B of A is forecasting $3,000 gold in 18 months. CIBC is raising their gold price forecast, and they even shared some stock picks of theirs. So that's always appreciated. Let's just see how much their gold price is. They're raising their gold price forecast to $1,725 in 2020 and $1,800 per ounce in 2021. And this is up from $1,600 per ounce for both years. Pretty timid forecast from CIBC, but so far it's looking pretty accurate. Haywood Securities is lowering their base metal forecast, and they expect copper at $2.45 per pound, down from $2.90 per pound in 2020. And they also are saying zinc is forecast to be $0.90 cents per pound, and that's down from $1.15. Nickel to be at $5.65 per pound, and that's down from $7 per pound. And it is also trimmed, it's forecast for lead, to $0.80 cents from 95 So with that, let's go to metal prices. to metal prices we'd like to thank our friends at infomine.com for providing us with these prices as they do each and every week and if you want to find them for yourself just type in infomine and metal prices into google and it will be the first result and on april 28th 
Gold is trading at $1,708.93 per ounce, and that is $16 higher than last week. Silver is trading at $15.11 per ounce. That is $0.07 lower than last week's quote. Platinum is trading at $764.60, and that is $0.80 lower than last week's quote. And palladium is also trading down at $1,937.01, and that is $148 lower than last week's quote. And on April 24th, copper is trading at $2.32 per pound, and that is $0.03 lower than last week. Aluminum is unchanged at $0.67 per pound. Lead is at 73 cents, and that is two cents lower than last week. Nickel is nine cents higher at $5.48 per pound. Tin is one penny lower at $6.89 per pound. Cobalt is unchanged at $13.38. And zinc is three cents lower at 85 cents per pound. So nothing to write home about in metal prices this week, although gold is once again above $1,700 and silver is staying put for the time being. But as we've discussed before, that tends to be typical. And one of the commentaries we didn't mention is another B of A commentary where they are saying that they expect silver to go much higher. So there we have it. Check it out on northernminer.com if you want to see all those new updated forecasts. We have several of them, and they're all on the homepage. So with that, those are your metal prices. And coming up, we have editor extraordinaire Alicia Hyatt, who I have worked with since 2012 when I first started at the Northern Miner. We used to actually sit beside each other. We had cubicles that uh, were beside each other when we were in the Toronto office, and That was a lot of fun, and so I'm really happy to interview her now. Now she is currently the editor-in-chief of Canadian Mining Journal, and she continues to be the editor-in-chief of Diamonds in Canada, which is a diamond magazine that comes out twice a year, and it is included with the Northern Miner newspaper subscription. You can also get a digital edition there as well. So here we're going to talk about PDAC, we're going to talk about the coronavirus, and we're also going to talk about what's going on in diamonds. So I hope you enjoy the interview, and we'll see you on the other side. Joining me now is Alicia Hyatt. Uh, editor-in-chief of the Canadian Mining Journal, and I've known Alicia since 2012, and so I'm really happy to have her on the program, and I think it's the first time. So, Alicia, welcome to the program. Tell us what's on your mind. What are you seeing at the Canadian Mining Journal? What's new? Thanks, Adrian. Um, nice to talk to you. Uh, I think we we kind of missed an opportunity to connect earlier this year at PDAC because uh, you normally come to PDAC from Berlin and um, this year you made, I guess, the right decision not to come. So for me, uh, PDAC was 
kind of like a dividing line in my life. There's before PDAC and there's after PDAC. And uh, that has to do with, you know, the fact that the the uh, COVID-19 uh, was kind of just starting to become an issue at that point. And, you know, there was some worry about having the convention, although I didn't see a lot of people wearing masks or anything like that at the convention. But, you know, people were starting to think about the spread of COVID-19 outside of Asia and, and Europe as well. So at uh, the convention, I heard a really interesting talk by uh, Paul Robinson of of the CRU group. Uh, Something that stuck with me from his talk about how COVID-19 might affect commodities prices was he was describing life for his colleagues in Beijing at that point. And they had at that point spent the last three and a half weeks in isolation in their homes because of the virus. And he was showing us photos of abandoned streets in in Beijing. And uh, I don't think most of us in attendance believe that we would be facing similar conditions just a couple of weeks later. Yeah, yeah that's kind of my dividing line. So after PDAC, I actually got sick. And oh, wow. <laughs> that must have been uh, pretty <laughs> great. Scary. Yeah. So I didn't go into yeah, the sure. office. And the week after, just when I was ready to go back to the office, um, we were all told to stay home because anyone who had been to PDAC should should isolate, self-isolate. A week after that, everyone was told to stay home in Ontario. So, Right, because there's that first case in Sudbury from PDAC, right? And he was yeah. an early case in Ontario, right? right. And then all yeah. of a sudden there's a self-isolation. Yeah, so it all happened very quickly, didn't it? Yeah, it being in Europe, I was, yeah, I got the news from Milan and grocery store shelves being cleared. And so that really made me a little uh, paranoid, frankly, about the situation. So I just decided, you know what, if things get out of control, it'll be best to just uh, be close to home. So you said there was life before and life after PDAC. So you ended up working at home. And I found that the Canadian Mining Journal followed the uh, COVID-19 beat pretty closely. And so I I thought that was pretty cool, actually, because there's sort of an editorial decision at a certain point, like, how closely do you follow this? These are trade publications. But it kind of seeped through everything. So I thought you guys did a good job, frankly, of being relevant is how I'd put it. But do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so at Canadian Mining Journal, we cover the operational side of mining. So this is a super relevant topic for us and our our audience. So we wanted to be on top of that. And one of the things that we thought was really important to find out from miners was how they were coming up with best practices for how to operate during the pandemic, because some mines in some jurisdictions were put on care and maintenance, but others are allowed to operate during the pandemic. So they they had to really figure out in a hurry what best practices they had to put in place to protect their own staff and also to protect the communities around their operations, because a lot of them are remote operations. They wanted to really you know, protect the communities and, and not bring in the virus to uh, places where their health systems may not be up to the challenge of dealing with it. Right. Yeah, that was definitely a tension. I don't know if you heard our uh, Kinross episode, uh, but you could tell there's sort of a lot of these companies are just sort of making it up as they go along. And that's not to put it like they were doing pretty, I thought, responsible practices. But I think it was just the nature of the the chaotic nature of the situation. In a sense, it still is. But you do get the sense that that initial March panic is sort of 
really starting to pass, at least especially in Europe here, but even everywhere, they're starting to talk about opening the economies and it's just this new normal. Mm-hmm. What was interesting about the miners is they seem to get up pretty early into the new normal because they kind of were able to kind of not have to shut down too, for too long or, you know, or if they're isolated or maybe they only shut down a couple of weeks. And and so, yeah, so I felt like we were getting a front row seat on what was going to happen for everybody else. I think one of the things with mining is that the sector has been really rigorous in adopting a safety first culture. So they really take health and safety to heart. And so I think, I don't know if they'll be a a leader in figuring out solutions for how to operate during this, but I do think that they will be successful in that. And they've already shown, you know, they've already, uh, you know, altered a lot of their practices, instituted a lot of health screening. Eldorado Gold, for example, has installed thermal cameras at their Lamac mine in in Quebec. And they, they have a video of this up on YouTube. It's a really short clip, but it's kind of cool to see. The system can actually capture up to 16 people at a time. Although, you know, during the pandemic, their protocols, you know, there will be one person screened at a time to maintain physical distance. But if the camera sees somebody who has a temperature of over 38 degrees, the alarm will go off and and they'll deal with that situation. Oh, God. (laughs) That sounds like it's that's that's in store for all of us. It sort of feels like. Continue. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a lot of things that they've instituted already. I think we're going to see testing becoming a, a big thing as well. Um, they're all trying to find a way to test their employees because there's this uh, this movement in and out of mine sites that is unavoidable. So they've lengthened lengthened rotations for staff. So instead of uh, 14 days, staff may stay on site for 28 days. But there still has to be movement, uh, so they have to they they have to start testing. And uh, Agnico Eagle is starting a, a pilot project for a COVID nineteen test that can produce quick results at its uh, mines in Nunavut. And then you've got Barrick Gold that has secured eight hundred thousand antibody tests, uh, which they're incorporating into their health screening process. And then just uh, I think uh, this weekend. Fortuna Silver Mines was reporting that they had six cases of COVID-19 at their mine in Peru. And the thing about that was they were all asymptomatic. So that really underlined the the importance of testing. Indeed. And it's interesting to see how these corporations really are and companies are really having to take the lead on the testing. Like it's not like a societal wide government mandated, you know, testing for them. It's just purely pragmatic we need to test people so that we don't get infections and have to shut the whole thing down. I mean, you hear it about, you know, Amazon, I think, was doing a similar thing, or and they said they're going to test all their employees. So, yeah, you wonder how far that whole thing is going to go. Tell me, have you heard anything on the First Nations front? Like, there was a story, actually, I think it was by Magda Gardner in the Canadian Mining Journal, and we posted it on the Northern Miner, too, and it was mentioning how First Nations, there's a bit of a battle over jurisdiction because it sounded like they didn't want the fly-in, fly-out. Uh, basically, they didn't want their communities infected. And some of these mines are in those communities. And so there's a bit of a who's running the show situation because the First Nations were basically said there's a duty to consult and they weren't being consulted because probably the government was, I don't want to make excuses for them, but they're probably acting pretty quickly and just giving huge sweeping statements and orders to everybody without really thinking about it. And I'm guessing. So anyway, have you heard anything on the First Nations front? No, we haven't heard anything, anything new on that. 
Okay, so basically just the story that we had there. Mm -hmm. Good. Now, you're also the editor of Diamonds in Canada. Tell us about what's going on in Diamonds. I saw something about Dominion Diamond. Did you see that story? Yes. It looks looks like they're going into receivership or some sort of bankruptcy proceedings. Tell us what you're hearing on the Diamond front. So um, the Diamond sector is a really challenging place to be, and it has been for, for years. It, there have been, you know, several crises over the past 10 years or something like that, or 15 years. And the last two years, diamond prices have not done well. There's been an oversupply in the market of smaller diamonds, and that is the majority of production for most mines, if not all mines. So right now, they're really getting hammered by the, the COVID-19 situation because the diamond pipeline is, is totally paralyzed. They've had to cancel or postpone sales, so they have no revenue coming in. Obviously, the rest of the pipeline is also paralyzed. There's not much selling going on at the retail level. There's a glut of polished diamonds in the middle of, of the sector of the pipeline. Um, and the travel restrictions are, are playing a big part in why this business can't get done, basically. The shutdown in India, where almost all of the cutting and polishing is done, is also uh, creating a problem. So it's, <laughs> it's the whole pipeline is paralyzed. Dominion Diamond, they, they've applied for creditor protection and they've put a caddy on care and maintenance. And Acadia was actually Canada's first diamond mine. They opened in, in 1998, so it's not a great situation. They do have another mine. They have a 40% stake in the Diavik mine, which is operated by Rio Tinto, and that one is still going. So the question for a lot of the miners, the diamond mines that are still going is, you know, what are they going to do with this inventory that they're collecting? They don't know when they're going to be able to sell it. So, yeah, Dominion and some other producers, uh, they have quite a bit of debt that they can't service without the revenue. So that's what's happening there. Interesting. So were you saying then with the polishing that goes on in India, is there sort of a global supply chain issue then there? Like it's not simply people not buying them. It's also the you can't get them polished and then you can't get them to the i guess it's kind of like a retail problem and then the retailers probably don't want to buy the diamonds because yeah, they the can't it's the whole chain there's no movement in the chain right and in a sense the miner is the one left uh, holding the bag i mean among everyone else but they have to they have all their workers and they have to decide they can still make these or produce these diamonds from the ground but with no one to buy or to send them anywhere it's kind of all for naught. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't think uh, De Beers or Al Rosa are going to be in trouble. They can hold on and they don't need those sales through the year as much as some of the smaller producers. So it kind of depends on, on your size. Some miners are going to be more vulnerable than others. Right. Do you know anything about Lacara, how they're doing, or have you heard anything? Uh, they're in a much better position than any of the other smaller producers because their mine in uh, Botswana, Karoe, uh, produces really exceptional diamonds, very large diamonds. So they don't have the debt that other companies have. So, but they still have the same issue with, you know, there's nobody really buying much. They may be able to sell a little bit because they do have those exceptional diamonds. But the other issue is, are people going to be willing to pay a fair price right now? I guess chaos like everywhere else, but diamonds, I mean, it was such a tough industry with the lab created diamonds to begin with. Like I thought that was, I wouldn't call it an existential threat to the industry, but it seemed like it. 
Uh, yeah, that, that's put a lot of pressure on the smaller, lower quality segment of the diamond production as well. So they're competing directly with that uh, segment, not with the high right. stuff, but with the majority of diamonds. Exactly. Like, say, just your average guy who wants to get a diamond engagement ring for his wife and sees a massive discount from the lab made and is told they're the same thing on a molecular level. Well, that is a bit of a, a question still. Um, oh, yeah. The, Tell us. The, I think there are still a lot of people that want, especially for bridal, for the bridal segment of the market, they want the real thing, so-called <laughs> uh, mined diamond. Um, and organizations like, uh, like De Beers, and the Diamond Producers Association are kind of stepping up their marketing to make sure that people realize there's a difference and believe there's a difference and are willing to pay for it. Is there a physical difference? Like I remember Paul Zimniski was saying at the uh, at the last Diamonds in Canada conference that we had at the TMX Broadcast Center. He was saying that, yeah, it was a marketing challenge. Is there a physical difference between these things? I don't believe so. I'm not a, 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 an expert in chemistry or anything like that. Sure. But I, yeah, but based on what you your assessment of what you think yeah. of no, they're they're the same. They are the same. Uh, That's like, what I would think. You can call a lab created diamond a diamond. It is it is a diamond. It's not something else. It's not cubic zirconia or something like that. Right. But it, the question is how how it was produced. Was so interesting. Great. Okay. And now tell us also about what you're working on for the next issue of uh, the Canadian Mining Journal. What are you guys working on right now? Well, we're just finishing up our May issue, which is focused on uh, the digital transformation of mining. So that includes some great content from uh, Cost Mine, which is part of the uh, Glacier Resource Innovation Group in, in Spokane. And they're uh, a consultancy uh, around costing in mining. So they, they have a great piece on rules of thumb that are used in costing conveyor costs versus trucking costs in mining. So this will get, you know, the <laughs> people that are really into the nitty gritty, they'll be interested in this piece. We also, as I said, we're focused on digital transformation. So we're looking at some of the new technology that's being applied to mineral exploration, namely machine learning and cognitive AI. So that's a really fascinating area. I know uh, Carl Williams, the, the new Northern Miner writer, talked to you a little bit about that last week. So He did, yeah. He, uh, I was impressed at actually how he really sort of opened uh, my mind up a bit about what's going on with AI. I didn't realize he had a degree in laser physics. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of impressive. Well, that sounds like a great issue. And what's so cool about that is it's pretty topical, but without like it's indirectly very relevant as well in the sense that I think a lot of mining companies and just the whole economy is actually getting a little bit more digital. So it seems uh, well-timed and well-chosen. Yeah, and we're also including some some direct COVID coverage. So, <laughs> Oh, good. You're going to stay on the COVID beat. Well, I mean, you might yeah. as well. Uh, you've, you've done a great job there. And uh, is there anything else on the horizon that's going on and that you're excited about or that is interesting that you that we haven't talked about? Well, we uh, we have our annual top 40 uh, ranking of, uh, of miners coming up in August. So that's our next really big issue. And we're already starting work on that. So that's something to look out for. Other than that, I just want to let people know that they can uh, subscribe to our digital edition if they are getting if they're already a subscriber and their uh, physical copy is going to the office and they're working from home. 
they can uh, on, on our website easily change their subscription to digital so they can get it wherever they are. Oh, excellent. Okay. And on the website, you just go to, is it subscribe? Yeah, you just it's under subscriptions. Okay. That sounds great. Okay. Well, thanks, Alicia. That was really great catching up with you. And let's do this again sometime soon. Great. Thank you so much, Adrian. Nice to talk to you. All right. You too. Talk soon. Thank you once again for joining the Northern Miner podcast. It was a nice little special family edition, which we started last week with Carl A. Williams, and now we're continuing with Alicia. We're going to try and get Trisha on next show if there's not some burning conference call that we need to check out or some breaking news interview that we want to put on. So look forward to that. If you'd like to share this with your friends or leave a review in the Apple podcast directory, we would be ever grateful. And until next week, take care.